From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 167. Today's show is brought to you by Text Expander from Smile, Squarespace, and Mac Walden. My name is Mike Hurley. I'm joined by Mr. Jason Snell. Hello, Jason Snell. Hello, Mr. Mike Hurley. How are you? Jason, nobody cares about that. We're going straight into hashtag Snell Talk this week. Oh, oh wow. It is November right now. Yes. November is known to some, including you, as NaNoWriMo. Mark mm-hmm. has a NaNoWriMo question for you, Jason. Mark wants to know, will any of the novels that Jason has written for National Novel Writing Month ever see the light of day? This is a great question, and the answer is, when you write a draft of a novel, it's not done. <laughs> uh, writing a novel is a little bit like making, like doing any other kind of, uh, I don't know, like like making furniture or you know woodworking or things like that, where it's it's a craft, and you're not done when you do your first draft. You need to edit it, and you need to fix stuff that doesn't that doesn't make sense. Uh, or problems that you discover as you go through. Often the novel you finish is not the same as the one you started. And so the answer is I have three novels basically in a in a drawer, you know, in a folder, uh, where I've written them through. None of them I consider done. None of them are publishable, in my opinion. I have tried to rewrite one of them, but uh, going one of the consequences of going on out on my own is... It's very hard to clear time and say, I'm going to use this to rewrite my novel when I have a whole bunch of other things that I'm trying to do to pay the bills. Um, it yes. has definitely changed oh, my mindset. Yes. I have been feeling that recently with some projects where it's like, I would love to be able to put my time into this. But unfortunately, I have a job to do. Right? Yeah, <laughs> like, and I've, try, I've tried that. to block out time, but even then it's it's hard to get out of the space of, I could use this time to do this other thing that is going to bring, you know, bring in money. And it's unfortunate because I really should spend the time, uh, do the rewrite and get it out there, whether it would be published by somebody or whether I would just self-publish it, which would be fine. I don't really care. But there, to, to get to that point, they, they, they all need work. And I, can't, I haven't even gotten through working on the one, let alone the other two that are sitting there. This is also the reason why I, when people ask me, are you doing NaNoWriMo this year? My answer is no, because I don't really want to put a fourth novel in the, in the drawer that I have to rewrite since I have proven to be uh, unable to rewrite the ones that I've already got in there. And, and if I'm going to spend energy on something like that, I would like to resolve the existing things one way or another. So they sit for now... And hopefully I will, I will, I have been gradually going through the one rewrite process and uh, I had hoped to get back to that this month inspired by NaNoWriMo. And, uh, you know, I feel like, uh, I don't know if you feel like this, Mike, but I feel like since the Apple event in September, I've just been going Mm -hmm. at full max capacity and then you throw in the travel because i went i had i had a couple of trips and you know we you had the one trip to chicago like you throw in the travel and all the apple announcements and then all these apple product releases which have been staggered out even over a longer time because of the iphone 10 that i have had no uh, like the dog is angry with me (laughs) because i don't walk her as much as i should because i just i have felt like i've been at max capacity for um you know basically every day since mid-september so that's that's been that's it's awfully hard to to break away from that but i need to try this is like a mini episode of free agents people should listen to free agents if they want to hear me and uh and david sparks talk about grappling with our time management and our perceptions of of uh 
of getting work done versus doing personal things. Because it's, it's definitely one of the issues if you're somebody who makes their own schedule and is their own boss like we are. If you would like to submit a question to start the show like Mark did, thank you, Mark, just send a tweet with the hashtag SnellTalk and yours may be chosen for a future episode. So we have more Apple TV show news. Apple have signed another show. Um, Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon will star in a morning show drama based on a book called Top of the Morning. Uh, when we spoke a few weeks ago uh, about some Apple TV-related stuff, uh, there was the rumor, apparently, that Apple was uh, bidding for this new Jennifer Aniston project. It was yep. really interesting to me to read the Hollywood Reporter article and realize that um, they, they threw this out there, and this is wild to me. That this, is, this will be um, Aniston's return to a TV series since Friends. This is, she's not done yes. any TV shows since Friends, which is yep. wild, right? She's been, she's been doing movies, right? The movies is what yeah. she's done. Um, but it's, it's, yeah, I was really, really surprised about that because I think basically every other, every other Friends actor has, right? All of the actors and actresses in Friends have done other TV shows. To my memory, like I'm scanning it through, like of the, all the big, like the main crew. <laughs> has David done it. has David Schwimmer done a TV he show? He did Band of Brothers. Then? Oh well, I guess right? that's an HBO miniseries, but sure, okay, that works as a TV show, I'm sure. Like I think I can, I think you can pass on that. But anyway, so uh, this the, Apple has won a multiple outlet bidding war with a straight to season two season order. Uh, yeah, the, which is a which is a you know that's risky. I talking to Tim Goodman last week on the podcast I do with him. He was like, "Yeah, that's that's risky because it could be a bad show. Yeah, the, <laughs> they're stuck with two years of it, or yeah. or paying to buy out the second year, which sometimes happens." This seems like a um like a a rare type of deal. Like I, I imagine well, this isn't done very the, often. The story. I mean, first off, the. You know, these are these are streaming seasons, so they're probably you know they probably bought twenty five episodes or twenty two episodes, which used to be a season. It's twenty. It's twenty. It's twenty. See, mm-hmm. so it's twenty. It's two ten episode seasons. So it's it, it's not it's not like they're buying fifty episodes. They're buying twenty episodes. Um, and the other thing is, this is happening right now in the bidding wars in this peak TV uh, bidding war thing because this sto- this show's been out there for a while and people have been talking about it and Apple has been linked to it before, but Apple was also linked to the Ryan Murphy show that um netflix signed him for and that was a case where there was a bidding war and netflix ended up bidding for a two-season order and raising the amount of money they were paying for uh streaming rights to his other shows to like um, american horror story yeah and um and so this seems to be par for the course now if you really want to to get one of these big name shows that everybody's bidding on one of the ways you do it is say you know yeah we'll commit to 20 instead of 10 we'll commit to two seasons and that's just more money on the table mm-hmm. and uh that is from a creative side i mean it's great to go into it knowing you're making 20 episodes instead of 10 that you can have a plan uh and and uh I don't know. It's interesting, but this is this is the case where Am- Amazon and uh, Netflix have a lot of money too, and so Apple is up against them in terms of getting, and they want to make a splash and they want names because they want people to um, to watch their stuff. So this is an interesting move. It won't be the last. Again, they got a lot of money that they're that they're able to spend, but it, it's the next step. There will be more. 
from The Hollywood Reporter. This show is described as an inside look at the lives of the people who help America wake up in the morning, exploring the unique challenges faced by the women and men who carry out this daily televised ritual of being a TV morning TV show host. Yeah. Um, Aniston and Witherspoon will be executive producers, and the series is being written by another executive producer, Jay Carson, uh, who produced House of Cards, and Carson will also ser- serve as the showrunner for yeah. top of the for for well it's called morning show drama is the working title at the moment yeah, I think un- unnamed I untitled morning show drama yeah we'll see how how it is uh they'll and and when they can put it into production right i'm still kind of a believer that this is going to be a uh this apple video service thing is is a fall 2018 thing mm-hmm. and uh and you know the theory may be it's a fall 2018 thing and everybody gets a trial you know, a three to six month trial when they sign up like they did for Apple Music, which means that basically Apple will give you all their fall shows, their launch shows so that you uh, will watch and try it out and presumably like it enough to stick around. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I had a I had a quick speaking of Apple TV related things. I had an Apple TV box related update. So I finally took the plunge and downloaded the I put the beta uh little profile thingy on my apple tv 4k which requires xcode <laughs> it's Oof. dumb because yeah. it doesn't have a usb and it doesn't have a usb c port on the apple tv 4k so you have to just kind of do it over the air which is also a little bit disturbing but i did it i updated to apple tv uh tv os 11.2 um and found and i used the like dynamic auto adjust frame rate thing that they added in the beta and uh it's great it seems to work really well many apps support it although not all uh i i was able to use the tv app but also the netflix app and the plex app and it was changing frame rates so basically if you're playing a film and the film's at 24 frames a second the apple tv flips over into 24 frames mode and the TV just displays the 24 frames instead of what used to happen, which is the Apple TV would take the 24 frames uh, from video and convert it into a 30 frame per second image by um, adding duplicate frames, which your TV then, depending on how it's configured, might try to dynamically remove or might not. Hmm. And with this setting, this is uh, this, this is the setting that John Syracuse is really excited about, um, it just switches. It, and my TV blinks momentarily when you start to play the video. It, it blinks and then comes back. But it it takes the new frame rate and then just plays it because the TV has the ability to take a 24 frame uh, frame rate video and just play it at 24 frames a second, which uh, is better because you, you lose a bunch of like uh, hiccups in movement that are artificially put in by uh, the conversion from 24 to 30. So it's cool. I'm a little uh, baffled why Apple has never offered this feature before, but I'm glad that it's there in the beta because I think it's, you know, for people who care, it's a it's a really great feature. So it's good to see that it's in there. Uh, Johnny Ive was interviewed uh, slash profiled in Wallpaper Magazine, uh, the design magazine. Uh, there was an interesting quote, possibly interesting quote that I just wanted to read uh, and then just discuss just a little bit. So this is a quote. This is Johnny Ive speaking to Wallpaper. What I think is remarkable about the iPhone X is that its functionality is so determined by software. And because of the fluid nature of software, this product is going to change and evolve. In 12 months' time, this object will be able to do things that it can't now. I think that is extraordinary. I think we'll look back on it and see it as a very significant point in terms of the products we have been developing. So... 
So I want to unpack this just a touch. I love you reading the words of Johnny Ive because because uh, as an American having a having a British accent read it is better. Yeah, um, I say, slowed say it down. Al- say say aluminium, Mike. Aluminium, Mike. Uh, All right. I wanted to just just slow it down just a touch so I could try and get a bit of bit of Johnny in it. Were you in the white room momentarily? In my mind, the white room of okay. my mind. Um, mm-hmm. There you go. That's nice. T- title fishing. Title, title fishing. <laughs> um, I. Obviously, okay, obviously all iPhones get new software every single year, right? This is just a given. But there are just a couple of things in this quote that are interesting to me. Like, I think we'll look back on it and see it as a very significant point in terms of the products we've been developing, um, talking about how like, it's going to be very different. So I've just been thinking about this combined with my usage of the iPhone X, um, also listening to a great discussion on Under the Radar last week, um, episode 105, where Underscore Marco were talking about New considerations due to more prevalent larger screen sizes and OLED screens and how that may make them rethink the way that their apps work, like where things are placed and the use of dark colors, right? Like to black because you get the true black of OLED and stuff like that. It's making me wonder if iOS 12 will see some significant changes to the functionality and feel of iOS from a UI perspective. You know, iOS 7 was a long time ago now. Um, you know, we're, we're five years, right? So it, this could be time for a bit of a change. And I think that the iPhone 10 could be enough of a reason for it. So like I've been playing around with the smart invert colors accessibility oh, yeah. option, which I recommend anybody who has the iPhone 10 should do because then when you open all of your apps that have white backgrounds, oh my word, they look unbelievable, right? It just looks so good to me anyway, like the all black, like the all you're seeing is just the pixels that are illuminated. It's beautiful. So yeah, I, I think that this could be... There could be some stuff here, and I, and I think that they wouldn't have changed it necessarily too much before. I mean, there are definitely, clearly, some changes to iOS 11 made for the iPhone, right? Like the big title bars and stuff like that. I think a lot of that was changed for for the 10, and uh, the, some of the changes they made to the iPad operating system with the swiping gestures, I think, were because of the 10. But but I I think that we could be looking at some bigger UI changes um, in the in iOS 12. Because I expect there is a possibility that we, you know, there is always a possibility we may have more phones, right, that look and operate like this one in September of next year. If not just the fact that that, the OLED notch screen will get its second iteration most likely, right? So there will be, even if they don't introduce any new, like, models that they don't introduce a plus model or whatever, that phone will... There'll be more of them. And if Apple sees it as the future, maybe it's the time to to do some UI redesign. So I just thought that this Johnny quote, coupled with things that I've been hearing developers talk about, seems to me like this could be the recipe for some some new changes uh, come June time. Yeah, I'm I'm legitimately surprised that the iPhone 10, which is the first OLED iOS device, um doesn't come with a dark mode. Yeah. I, I am legitimately surprised by that. The Apple Watch, which is OLED, was built from the ground up to prioritize black over white. And there's, you know, there's screen savings and power savings reasons to do it. Plus, you can really embrace the the darkness, <laughs> embrace the black of the OLED screen in a way that the LCD 
with the LED backlight doesn't let you do. And so Smart Invert Colors is interesting. The reason that for people who don't know that it's Smart Invert Colors is that the old Invert Colors literally inverted everything. And Smart Invert Colors lets you say, this is an image, so it shouldn't get inverted, basically. And so if apps are updated to support Smart Invert Colors, um, the UI elements all get reversed so black turns into or white, black turns white, white turns black, and the colors get inverted. But um, the images stay the same. So like on in Twitterific, which supports smart invert colors, um, I can invert, and suddenly the white theme is black background, but the images that are in line all look normal. Whereas Overcast, which doesn't support smart invert colors, um, the white theme looks black, which is nice, but all the podcast art is reversed, which is less nice. So smart invert colors is an interesting attempt by Apple to create something that's kind of like a dark theme, but is really more like a hack with a hack inside it to make it look less bad. Yeah. And it's an accessibility feature as well, right? Like it's not it's not a real like right. dark theme. It, it is, but why it not is, a dark yeah. theme? Because because, you know, I use, and this is not just about an iPhone thing. This is an iPad thing, too. It's like I use my iPad at night sometimes when the light's off and I'm I'm sitting there reading. And I'll be in Safari Reader or something and I'll have it set to black background so that it, because mm-hmm. I just, it doesn't need to be that bright. And then I'll, I'll open like mail or something and it's just blast of white. <laughs> and, and I don't understand why they, why they have not, uh, embraced this idea I, yeah. I i feel like this on the mac too and at least they have the dark theme in the title bar but it doesn't like change the window chrome to be darker and and it's like just why not why not do that and ios mm-hmm. seems like the perfect place to do it and and the iphone 10 seemed like the perfect time and they still haven't done it so i hope it happens but i i have to say i've got some skepticism about whether they will do it because if they were going to do it why haven't they done it already um, and, and I do think, yeah, uh, on your larger point, iPhone 10 is so clearly, I mean, in some ways it's the culmination of some changes they've been making in the background for a couple of years, but it's also so clearly the way forward for iOS, the way they view iOS going forward, which is no physical home button, lots of different gestures from the edges and all of that, that that is what all iOS devices are ultimately going to, going to be like. And bigger screens than we've ever had before in all sizes, right? That the screens are all going to get bigger. And, you know, it is funny to me to hear my developer friends talk about, oh, we must consider big screen sizes. Like, yeah, thanks for three years ago, right? Like, <laughs> I've, I've been using a bigger screen, but now now finally people are understanding bigger screens can cause their own issues and keeping all the UI at the top can be struggle, like can be a bit of a struggle at times and et cetera, et cetera. But I'm happy to see uh, people starting to understand this and, and maybe embrace for the bigger screens because now uh, it's more available, right? Bigger screens are more available to people. So, so there you go. I was uh, sitting on the train today, Jason, and I saw somebody using a Plus and it looked huge to me. It was hilarious. I, I was, it was so funny to me that already the Plus phone looks mammoth to me. Although I will say all Plus users that I've ever spoken to agree with this. Uh, the the Plus size phones always look bigger when somebody else is holding them. I don't know why that sure. is. Sure. It's an optical illusion. Yeah. It's something it's, that's the that's the why people didn't think that Mike was right. Um, mm-hmm. I've heard some Plus users talk about how uh, I've heard some skepticism from some quarters among Plus users about the iPhone 10. We definitely got some feedback from somebody who said Mike should really try the iPhone 8 Plus, uh, which was weird because like I, I, I make a difference. 
no the the iPhone Seven Plus was close enough that you know what the iPhone Eight Plus is going to be mm-hmm. like. And uh, I've also seen some speculation that maybe next year, and this is not a rumor, this is pure speculation, but that next year that Apple might very well do an iPhone Ten Plus. Well, just as we went and- on the air today, Jason uh, Ming Chi Kuo reported that. <laughs> <laughs> That next year, there may be a trio of iPhones, including uh, a 5.8-inch, a 6.5-inch OLED, and for some reason, a 6.1-inch LCD with a notch in it. Um, So, Ming-Chi Kuo, wasting no time, uh, there will be three phones with Face ID, assumedly, so they have notches in them. So, basically, it's an an iPhone X, an iPhone, uh, you know, an iPhone X 2018 edition which we should talk about sometime because I think maybe we've reached the point where Apple's going to just call the iPhone 10 by it as the iPhone 10 and with a year like they do with the iPad Pro and that mm-hmm. their differentiator is that they're going to have the iPhone 9 and then they'll have the new iPhone 10 and the new and then the iPhone 10 plus but anyway this that that's another discussion to have about naming and that'll be great in that period in like February where nothing is happening and we need to talk about names because mm-hmm. we do that um but the, the, the Quo's report is iPhone 10 iPhone 10 plus and basically like iPhone 9 where it's still the LCD screen but they put face ID in it yep and take the yep. home button off. So it's a plus with Face ID, effectively, right? And a slightly updated design in theory, but so they could still hit another price point. I guess would be the would be the. I thinking. guess do they have something that can sit in between it all? But but yes. So uh, you're right. That would be a th- plus. That would be like the iPhone nine plus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there you go. It's already started. Huh. It it is already happening. Well, you know, that's I saw my first 2018 iPhone rumor like the week after the iPhone event, right? It's like, it's oh, nice that they yeah. keep that level of decorum to wait until after Halloween to put up the Christmas decorations. It's a grace period. So, mm-hmm. But, um, but I do, I do think that uh, the iPhone 10, because I'm, I'm trying to think, I'm going to talk about naming now, <laughs> just for a moment, because I'm interested, you, you can give me a reality check if this is totally crazy, but um, iPhone 10, I can't think of a good name that follows it. I mean, iPhone XS, 10S, pronounce the S, don't pronounce the X, call it a 10. I, I, I don't think they're going to go iPhone 11 or XI, either way. I don't think they're going to do that. I keep coming back to that this is their iPad Pro moment with the iPhone, where they're going to do to iPhone 10 what they did with OS 10, which is just keep it for a while and just say, iPhone 10 is iPhone 10. I don't think it's a good idea because people have been too locked into the sequential numbering, uh, you know, over the last 10 years. That if oh, you just I know. keep calling it iPhone 10, people will think it's old. I think rather than, I mean, I, I, I still stand by the idea of them giving them a new product name and just pulling a number, like pulling the numbers away. So you know, like the next ones maybe just called iPhone, or like you know they call it iPhone Pro, whatever. Well, I don't know. I, I think so. I think they could do it for a little while. I think you could collapse the like if you think about the iPhone six, six S, seven, eight, 
Mm-hmm. You could take three or four years and just say, this is iPhone 10, and it's better at the all-new iPhone 10. But the other way to do it would be something that they did with OS 10, and it's something that they're doing with the chips now, which is to call it iPhone 10 something, but oh, not a number work. or a letter. Yeah. And, and so if you imagine if yeah. this was, and it's not called this, but if imagine if this was iPhone 10 Bionic... And that last year's phone was iPhone Fusion or whatever. That, they, they could, could do, do something like that yeah. too. Yeah, I mean, and then eventually they just drop the ten name, and every year they come up with a new marketing name, which is not a number, but it's got you know, like Pixel, right? Like Google Pixel. Right. I know that they've given those numbers, but like the name, I actually think that might be a nicer way to do this going into the future. Is give them a cool name. Stop doing numbers. Let's give these products yeah. some interesting names that sums up some of the features in them. Um, I like that idea, Jason. And I don't want them to pick like big trees in California. Like I, I want it to be something <laughs> yeah. a little bit more abstract, which is applicable to everyone. You know, like yeah. so they like like bionic because like it's just a cool word, right? Like give it some name like that. But yeah, I'm on board with that. Um, so there we go. We've solved that problem. Thanks. Apple. All right. Well, ch- everybody, check check back You're in uh, in February for mm-hmm. naming corner. Somebody write we... this down. Yeah, something like that. Or 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 Frank will come up with some segment art for naming corner, and we'll just have Perfect. to do it every week. That's how it works, right? That is exactly how it works. Today's show All is right. brought to you by Mac Weldon. They make the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, sweatpants. So much Sweat more pants. you're ever going to wear. Jason, I am later on this week getting on a plane. What do you think I'm going to oh, be wearing? You're going to be wearing Mack Weldon sweatpants, of I course. I most definitely am because they are mm-hmm. the most comfortable pair of trousers that I own. Those sweatpants are fantastic. I feel good in them. I look good in them. And I can sit on a plane for 10 hours and I am perfectly comfortable the whole way through. Mac Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now if you're not wearing Mac Weldon. And they are so confident of this fact, they have a no questions asked return policy. If for any reason you don't like your first pair of Mac Weldon items, just keep them. They'll refund you, no questions asked. They do this by pairing premium fabrics, meticulous attention to detail, and a simple shopping experience. Mac Weldon believe that by having all of that stuff, they are going to make clothing that you are going to love. They have undershirts that stay tucked, socks that stay up, and waistbands that don't roll. They even have a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial. This is some cool science stuff that eliminates odor. So all of Mac Weldon's underwear, socks, and shirts look good. They perform well. They're good for everyday life, no matter what it is you want to do. Whether you look smart, whether you look good, doesn't make a difference. Mac Weldon's good for it. Listen to this show. Get 20% off at MacWeldon.com. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Just use the code UPGRADE to get that 20% off at checkout. Thank you so much to Mac Weldon for their continued support of this show and Relay FM. Apple Pay for iMessage appeared in the most recent version of the 11.2 beta for iOS. So I want to give you some some run I want to give you some rundowns here Jason of some of the the the, the things okay, that are occurring here. Mm. So as it stands right now, um, Apple Pay for iMessage is US only. This was expected when it was originally announced, but um, found by a friend of the show, uh, Guillermo Rambo, uh, who is at underscore inside on, uh-huh. on Twitter, who you should be following oh, because he finds so much awesome stuff dug deep into iOS. Um, additional countries can be added with OS updates like Apple Pay. Without, sorry, without OS updates, that's the key part, like Apple Pay. So Apple Pay could be turned on in certain countries and on devices without their requiring an, Apple, an iOS update. 
So that's a good thing, right? So it means that countries can be turned on for Apple Pay for iMessage as they get ready to do that and want to roll it out further. Um, you will find inside of your wallet app on iOS uh, your current Apple Pay cash balance along with recent transactions. Um, and it has a little card, which looks really nice. And uh, I'll put a link to a tweet from uh, Matt Panzerino um, over at TechCrunch. It has like an iridescent effect. So when you move your phone around, there's like a glittery color-changing hologrammy effect on the card, which is in the Apple Wallet app. So that, you know, they're being a bit bit cute with it. Um, debit card payments are free and credit card payments incur a fee. So when you're sending money to somebody, if you have a credit card attached to your uh, Apple Pay cash card, so where it's going to debit the money to send to somebody, where it will take the money from. If you use a credit card, there's a fee. If you use a debit card, it's free. Um, there are a couple of ways. Actually, there are a a lot of ways that you can send somebody Apple Pay Cash. So you can open the iMessage app and send it inside of messages. You can ask Siri to send someone money or request money from someone. There is a pay, an Apple Pay button on people's contact cards. When you send someone an iMessage that has an amount in it, like for example, if I send Jason a message that says you owe me $10, Jason will see that message with the $10 underlined, which he can tap and it will open the Apple Pay uh, the pay app, iMessage app open and mm-hmm. pre-fill the amount for him. And also the quick type keyboard will also prompt you of an Apple Pay logo when somebody asks you for money. Basically, Apple right. really want you to be using this <laughs> a yeah. lot. So there are some limits, probably for money laundering purposes. Single transactions and transfers to your bank um, are limited to $3,000 in total. So I couldn't send Jason $3,001. And if he had $3,001 in his Apple Pay cash balance, he wouldn't be able to withdraw all of it. Uh, You cannot send less than $1 at a time. So $1 is the minimum. You can only send or receive a maximum of $10,000 in a seven-day period. And you can only withdraw a maximum of $20,000 per week to your bank account. Um, I'll just say thank you uh, to, I think it was Ryan, uh, over at Mac Stories for providing me with a lot of that information in, in his great article. I'm curious about the international stuff, though, right? Like, I I imagine that the, you will they will have to do some UI that explains the, the currency conversion. Yep, this might be one of the then... reasons that they haven't done it for outside of the US yet, because it becomes infinitely more complicated when Jason's paying me money. Right, because do you get it in dollars? Do you does it go in your wallet? Does it get converted then into pounds? Uh, can you keep it in dollars and pay American people in dollars, or do, does it then get converted back? There's a lot of complexity there uh, that I wonder about. Yeah, or do we just use U.S. dollars for everything? Apple's just uh, Apple's always in U.S. dollars, and then uh, that doesn't make sense, right? Because if no. you're in a foreign currency, you want to pay your friends in the foreign currency. Yep. Uh, yeah, so that I can see why it's U.S. only. Because the idea for this <laughs> is that it's in your Apple Pay, right? So in your actual Apple Pay, so this is the problem that these have got the same name. In like when you're using Apple Pay in stores or public transport, you can have your Apple Pay cash card set as the default card. So whenever you have any money on that, it can take from it. Right. Right. So this is like, like, uh, that's like PayPal balance or something, right. Mm -hmm. Which is you, you want to use your, your mad money, your, your money that's just sitting in your wallet in cash, essentially, instead of using your credit card. So, you know, the idea with this is very simple, right. In that like you are filling up the card, right. By 
making transactions. So it just debits an account, right? The same as PayPal. It's very similar to PayPal in this way, but it's hooked right into all of iOS. Hmm. It's, I want this um, because it seems, it <laughs> of course just, you do. well, I like the, um, honestly, I would want it because of the hooks into iOS and into iMessage. Because that it just seems like an, an, a very seamless thing, right? Like it just it seems like just an easy way to pay people money. And a problem that I have is most of the services that provide this stuff, like Venmo, I can't get access to, right? So my hope is that it, this will go international, and that there will be a way to make very simple international payments with this. Like for example, right. if like you know when when I, me and Federico travel together. We're sending PayPal transactions constantly back and forth because, like, one of us has booked the hotel, one of us has booked the the flights, so it's all PayPal stuff. And it's like, ah, but I have a PayPal business account and a PayPal personal account. Honestly, I would just like right. to get all my business stuff in PayPal and then all my personal stuff in the iMessage payments. It's just like, it's an easy way to deal with it. Plus, as well, when we're talking about the numbers, we're texting them to each other, right? We're sending iMessages back and forth. So wouldn't it be nice to just hit a button? If Apple does this well, though, right? I mean, and this is the question of, of the, they're going to do it. They, I could also see them rolling it out and saying it's, you know, only to tell, pay people who are using your local currency right now and we'll do international later. But if they do it right, they're going to do those co- conversions. Uh, I can see lots of scenarios like you and Federico are in the U.S. together and trying to split bills. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you've, you're getting a bill in U.S. dollars. Um, it would be really nice if you could say, I want to pay Federico 20 US dollars and have it say, that'll be this many pounds out of your account and that'll yep. be this many of uh, whatever currency he wants to use. Yep. Euro, fine. Or if he wants to use his, his laundered, uh, I don't even know what, uh, Swedish <laughs> kroner, he could do that. Oh, I've given, but I've said too much. Um, <laughs> But but the idea that you could take you could take uh, yeah so you got pounds and euros and dollars all in the same transaction and if they do it well and I don't know if it's possible because this sounds like a really complicated setup but if they do it well that should all just happen right you should say I want to pay Federico twenty US dollars and it'll and it'll be able to say well that's this many pounds that you have in your account so mm-hmm. I'll take that out and then I'll pay it to Federico which will turn it into euro and now he gets euro. And, right, that's the dream. So I'll say the, the PayPal app on iOS does this kind of stuff, and they have a very, very simple UI in their iOS app. The web, not so much. But on the iOS app, it's like just big numbers. You just tap on the little flag, and you change the currency, and then you can tap on this one, change that currency, just say the amount. When you go through, it then gives you a breakdown. You want to send this to this. It's going to cost you this. Job done, right? That, that's and and a yep. lot of that stuff probably could be done quite nicely inside of an iMessage app. I I, I, I would I think, think so. This is great, and I'm not surprised that Apple is doing all of this, honestly, because as as we said before, as I said when this was rumored when it when it came out, this is like it's what big companies are doing now. Big companies want to be mini banks because why not? As well as get people to spend money with you, just get them to literally give you their money to just look after. Yeah. Right. That yeah, this, and then that, and then all that money go. that's sitting in your wallet is money that's sitting in Apple's bank account to uh, mm-hmm. to gain interest or interest do whatever or until it comes back out and stuff like that. You know, mm-hmm. and, and then when then they've got all the reserve, and they give you the money when you need it. It's not like Apple haven't got enough cash that they you know <laughs> they need to spot uh, for themselves. They're fine. They've got that money. And then also the other part of it is just system lock in. Right. 
you're then maybe more likely to spend that inside of an Apple Pay thing somewhere, whether it's giving money to Apple or just using it inside of their system because the money's already there and it's easier than getting it out again. Yeah, I'm not surprised that all of this is happening. Um, It looks like Apple's UI and all the systems are good, and I hope that they, one, do a good international rollout, and two, that they find a way to make it work for international transfers. I'm excited for that. I want to uh, take a step back here and say that I think it, this is an interesting trend that sort of has happened the last year or two, but is really ramped up this year, which is, is iOS number whatever now a marketing concept? And I say that because among the features Apple has announced as being part of iOS 11 or coming in a future update, right, are iMessage in the cloud Apple Pay, friend to friend, and I might even throw like um, faster inductive charging in there. Um, that was an iOS 11 announcement. It was announced when the eight and the ten were announced, but it was sort of like a future development. And I think it's really interesting as a trend. We've touched on this before, but I want to point it out now in the context of Apple Pay for iMessage, which is um, Apple seems to now be okay with the idea that when they say something is coming in iOS 11. They don't mean it mu- that it will necessarily be an 11.0. Like, it will be part of iOS 11 at, at some, some point. point. Yeah. And I-, I think I'm okay with that. I'd, o- I'd be okay with iOS announcements being kind of a roadmap where a lot of this stuff will hit on day one, but some of it is going to roll out over time because, even though we all want it now, right, That of course, um, because that lets them pluck some things out that are more complicated and not happening and not ship them when they're not ready and keep working on them and then rolling them out when they need to. And I got to be honest, there it used to be that if you didn't make the iOS drop in September, that didn't show up for a year. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of like the idea that Apple can be a little more confident in announcing features in June. Because they know that even if they don't all make it in September, they just need to make it by December or January or February. I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's different, right? And that is, but I feel like that's the game they're playing now is iOS 11 is a collection of features across multiple software releases. And that's just how it is, right? We'll get iMessages in the cloud, or iMessage in the cloud at some point, and we'll get the inductive charging update at some point, And we're going to get uh, Apple Pay for iMessage if you're on the public beta now, but that'll roll out in the next few weeks. And it's just this kind of rolling iOS 11. It's not. It's not the single release anymore. I think that's. I think that's good, probably. But uh, it's definitely the way they seem to be approaching it. So we have uh, two Mark Gurman rumor articles to discuss this week. Um, we'll start with the smaller of the two, I think, uh, which is okay. an Apple AR headset. So I want to yeah. read read some of the key points. All right, <laughs> so break it down for me. Summarize some of this stuff for you. So this will be the break, a breakthrough product to succeed the iPhone. I'm sure I've heard that. I'm sure I've heard that somewhere before. Yeah, <laughs> that <laughs> is not product. the strongest. That is not the strongest thing in this article, right? Nope. Like, nope. You're going to get to the details, and I I think the I was asked. I was on Twitter yesterday, and I was asked mm-hmm. about this, and. And I think all these details are true, but the product to succeed the iPhone part, not that part. 
No. <laughs> At least I not put in the that short term. In because I find it so yeah. kind of ridiculous. Everybody at this wants point. everybody is looking for the next iPhone. Everybody's mm-hmm. looking for an iPhone killer. I think that I think the smartphone is going to survive for a long time. Yes. Yet. Yes. I mean like the this was what this was what the Apple I mean, my joke is the Apple Watch, right? This is what yeah, right. I mean, the, the Apple, Apple Watch, Watch is going to be is not going to be bigger than the iPhone. And the, the talk like this makes it seem like if it's not bigger than the iPhone, it's, it's a, a failure. failure. Yeah. And it's not. Nothing is going to be bigger than the iPhone for a very, very long time. So this mm-hmm. is silly talk. But let's get into the details. Could ship a product as soon as twenty twenty. Um, Apple's device will have its, shush, will have its as own soon, display. As soon as, as soon as is great. You go I can, I, get I, through I this, Jason. I, Mike, I could go into outer space as soon as tomorrow. Apple's and, device and when will have its own display <laughs> and run on a new chip and operating system. Uh, mm-hmm, the company like began it. putting together a team to work on AR-related projects a couple of years ago. This team's first product was ARKit. And their next step, what they're working on now, is creating a headset with a built-in display capable of streaming 3D video without draining the battery. Um, Apple is creating their own chips again for this, as they have been doing recently with a lot of their new products. Um, the new operating system, internally dubbed ROS for Reality Operating System, mm-hmm. that is not a good name. Um, no. AROS is better than ROS. It's R. It's the yes. higher operating system. Um, Ros. Rose. Rose is based on iOS, as you could assume. Again, as like tvOS and watchOS have been. Yeah. Um, the company plans to release a new version of AR Kit as soon as 2018. This will include things such as shush, persistent tracking. Uh, <laughs> persistent tracking is when you can put an object in a virtual space, uh, look away, and the object is still there. Right. So you could put something down. You could turn away, do something else, turn around, and it stayed exactly where it is. Um, the persistence tracking, I think there's very basic versions of that right now. It's not as good as it could be. Like, it loses its place. I, I assume there'll be many other things that come uh, with ARKit. But, of course, what this whole thing is framed around is, like, an Apple Google Glass, right? That This is what yeah. we're assuming. Or, um, or an Apple HoloLens. Yes. That's the other way to look at it, right? Yes. Yes, because Hollands actually had AR features. Google Glass didn't. Google Glass was just a screen projected in front of your face for yeah. text and stuff. It, it was too. It's too old, right? Like it, it was yeah. too long ago. I mean, Google Glass, if it existed now, it would be AR. But then right. it was just a HUD, right? It was just a heads-up display. Yeah. Was what it was. Exactly. That's that's right. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of things to say that you don't want to say when you get something like this because episode 300 of Upgrade, we can look back and laugh at ourselves mm-hmm. for some of the things yeah. we say here. But this is something that I'm I'm really struggling to get my head around is Apple making an AR headset. Um, to, I assume, my assumption is they are not making an AR headset to be used just at home, like I think the HoloLens is. Like, my assumption would be if they made something, it would be to be like become part of your life. It would be like a more like a wearable, really, than than anything else, and it would, I guess, be akin to something like a Google Glass. I I struggle. I struggle with this, um, partly because Google Glass kind of ruined it, right, for for everyone, uh, and I. <sighs> It just there is there is an inelegance an inelegance to a to a product like this that I'm kind of not sure about. Well, so 
the product doesn't exist, right? So any anything we think about it is what we it, what we bring to it ourselves. Yep. Um, but as soon as twenty twenty, uh, let here here's the thing. I feel like this is clearly a direction Apple wants to go in. Tim Cook talks about AR all the time. Mm-hmm. I think Apple. Sometimes I think the modern uh, strategies of all the tech companies is, uh, or at least a lot of it, can be explained by fear of being the being left out of the next big wave of yes. technology and being yep. obsolete. And nobody wants that. Everybody, these modern tech companies know that they can be obsoleted in a minute. Right? That this is the that they could be BlackBerry. To, to use one of many examples, that they could be just, if you poo-poo something that's new technology, it could be the thing that destroys you. And so I think Google and Apple and um, and others, Amazon, Microsoft, are somewhat obsessed with investing in things that could potentially be a threat to their thing that they do, or could potentially be a threat to the thing that their, that their uh, competitor does really well. And so for Apple, you look at AR... And VR is kind of a subset of AR. Um, and you say, well, if anything's going to replace a smartphone, it's probably wearables and something that is a heads up kind of display where you don't need to hold a phone, uh, hold glass in front of your face, right? That 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 is a threat. And they, uh, and AR is interesting and VR is interesting. And they've got the powerful processors and sensors and all those things. And so they make AR kit and they put it in, in, in the modern phones. And they start to work on, well, what would happen if we took our OS knowledge and our sensors and our, our, our APIs and uh, all the hardware we build and we built a headset? And I think the answer is probably like, well, this isn't going to be a product that's any good for a few years yet. That, that anybody's going to want. And I think that is why you say, could shoot, ship a product as soon as 2020. It's like, that's somebody saying, you know, we're working on stuff that's on the roadmap, but but what we've got now is kind of clunky, uh, but maybe there's something there. Um, and then the question is, what's it for in 2020? And the answer, there are a lot of answers, right? It, it could be that it that it is mostly for home use originally, and it is a game playing thing because I would imagine that if it can do AR, you could probably like flip down a uh, flip down a, 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 a thing, a covering over the eyes, and basically turn it into VR if you wanted to do that. Um, like you know, I I think that they right. So this product makes sense to me in that I think they need to work on it. And that they will probably come to a point where they think, yes, there is a product here, but it's so far off now that it is more about like hedging about sure. the future and making sure you don't, because Apple has advantages here in, in the, in that they've been working on a car kit in that they're building their own Silicon um, in that they've got uh, in terms of apps and games, some developers who are going to already are getting up to speed on AR stuff with the iPhone and are going to be exploitable in the, in the good, in the good way of like, look at all of our developers are already here for this new platform. And then, Imagine how great James Thompson's calculator slash game will be on a set of goggles. We may never hear from James again. He may just be in the goggles from then on. Um, so, like, I, I like it from that level. Um, I think the question is, how do you picture this as a product at the end? And 
Yeah, that's that's a real question. I I, I don't know if the tech even in 2020 is going to let us like wear them out of the house. But in an office setting, in a home setting, uh, it's a little more plausible. That's certainly what Microsoft is targeting. Um, but you know, I don't know. I, I think the best way to look at this is that it is a, a uh, maybe a short term product product, but it is a long term hedge against the disappearance of the iPhone glass because that's a huge threat to Apple's livelihood in tw- in the twenty twenties. Yeah, I, I'm just this is just something I'm really struggling with because I just can't. I I, I don't know. I I really struggle to see this as a product which is mass market. I really do. It, oh, I I agree with you. I I think it's and that's why I think it's not the next iPhone. No. Um. I I well, let me put it this way, and and we yeah we can laugh in this and upgrade four hundred, uh, or five hundred, which is um, I guess that only pushes it out two years every time we we say that. But if you ask me, if by the end of the twenties, which is weird to say that, but by the end of the twenties. If people ha- are largely foregoing a slab of glass in their hand as they walk around in the world for wearables, that includes potentially something that they can see, you know, it's basically a heads-up display of some kind. Um, I would say, yeah, that sounds reasonable. Like, it sounds reasonable. The question is how we get from here to there, because... I don't think voice interface and talking is going to be enough on its own. I'm not sure whether having just uh, you know headphones in and a cellular watch on your wrist is going to be enough to satisfy people to leave their slab of glass at home. Um, but I'm also not sure everybody wants to walk around wearing you know wearing glasses unless they are like literally as light as a pair of, the pair of glasses I'm wearing right now. Um, but I could see it, right? I, I think the challenge is how we get from from here to there. And the problem with that is that it's very hard if you're a company, you know, any company, to not have a product between here and there, right? The only way you get from here to there is by releasing a product and having it, you know, be not not great, but exciting and people get it and then you make it better and then you make it better right and the challenge for apple is unlike some of their competitors apple is really reluctant to release a product that they don't think that they can sell a bunch of and that's that's a challenge right is how do you make this thing good enough that people want it even if it's impractical and expensive and not a lot of people want it but like like the apple watch it's enough to get the category rolling and then you iterate and more people start to buy it and then it kind of becomes its own thing that's what they need to do here and for me that's like that's the question for for whoever's building this thing at apple and it's probably the question for all the managers of those people in terms of when do they think that this is a, a, a real thing or do they potentially go, oh, no, 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 we're not, push it back. This is not going to happen. Uh, because that's that's the real question is, will anybody buy an Apple thing that they strap on their face that does you know VR and AR apps that they can use at home? W- will people buy that product? What are the details of that product in 2020 that would make somebody buy it? And it's, you know, we we don't have a lot of examples of other companies doing this successfully, right? They're, you know, Microsoft demos Hololens, and we've had some VR, you know, VR only uh, game things like Oculus and the the PSVR, but it's super limited. So I don't know. 
I, it's some, a thing you've got to do, but you're kind of going into the woods here, right? As Apple and saying, I hope we find the right product in, you know, two or three years. I hope so. <laughs> uh, I, you see what I mean though? They, they got to do this, but I'm not no, sure. I, but, I agree. Uh, I, they do. I mean, cause I mean, I, I, I was the one who for before AR kit, right. Was, was saying like Apple us being silly for not pursuing VR and AR, right? Like I was getting concerned that they were not going in this route. I th- I personally think that something more like the HoloLens is more interesting and something that should be progressed as this not thing than Google Glass. My concern is Apple will go down the Google Glass route, which I think is the wrong route. Um, and that really, I, I believe that these AR products could be more interesting as a way to augment computers, not smartphones. And I hope that that's the route that they're going down. I I really struggle by 2020 to imagine there to be a product compelling enough that is like the Apple Watch before our faces. Like that that's what I am concerned about. Um, because you don't, if Apple screwed this up the first time, they're not going to get another shot at it for a while, right? And then they may then miss it because I, I think that this is a product which is fraught with social problems and it's is just very tricky. It's just like a very tricky thing because you know if Apple make a headset, they're going to have to put a camera on it and it's like that is there's like a million problems in there. And yeah, uh, this, so I, I just think that I, I don't, I don't know if the world's ready for it, Jason, is the, is the, is the problem. Yeah. Um, so, th- and will it be ready in, in three or four years or I not? And I, I think can't see how, yeah. right? Like what's going to change, right? Like we our smartphones are going to continue to be our smartphones. They're still going to have cameras on them, right? Like that, they're the cameras we're used to. I don't know. This is just something that like. Between now and then, I'm really interested to see where technology goes because I just, I, I really just don't imagine it within the next couple of years that to be a product that people could walk around in the streets with and like everyone's totally <laughs> cool with that. Like, I, I just yeah. don't see it. Today's show is also brought to you by our friends over at Smile. And today I want to talk to you about Text Expander because with Text Expander, you can communicate smarter. When you use Text Expander, you can recall your best, most frequently used words and phrases by creating a keyboard shortcut and then letting Text Expander do the work. Text Expander is great for individuals. It's maybe even better for teams because let me explain why. If you have a Text Expander snippet, you can put anything under it right you can have it expand a phone number or an address but what about something like a marketing message so let's imagine that you want to send out a marketing email and you the current offers or the current products or the current thing that you're looking to sell to to a potential client this is like it is what it is right now everybody wants to send it you've got like 10 salespeople. everyone needs to be able to send this message so you set up a text expander you share it with everyone everyone's got the message right with Text Expander for Teams, if you want to change that message, so now the offer has changed, you want everyone to talk about a new offer, instead of having to go around and say to everyone, this is the new offer, make sure this is what you're sending, or send out an email to everybody, all you have to do is just change what's in the snippet. It gets synced to everybody's machines, and then the next time they change, they just type in that little snippet, like maybe they type in offer with two R's or offer with two O's, it will expand for them and they have the most up-to-date information. 
all the time, right at their fingertips. Nobody had to do everything. Nobody had to do anything. Everyone is up to date all the time. This is the magic of shared snippets. And just one example of what your team can do to communicate smarter with Text Expander. It's mind-blowing stuff. It's so cool and it's so customizable. I love Text Expander. I've used it for years. It has handy search features so you can keep so you can find all of your snippets really easily from anywhere that you type on Mac and on PC now because Text Expander is on Windows as well. You can even create a text expander snippet that can add as a calculator if you want to because they have this really wild integration with JavaScript. So you can create text, like text expander snippets that have JavaScript in them now. It's wild stuff. If you or any of your team spend any amount of your day typing, you need text expander. It's as simple as that. Go to textexpander.com slash podcast for 20% off your first year and then just tell them that you heard about them on Upgrade. That's textexpander.com slash podcast for 20% off your first year. And when you sign up, please say that you heard about them from Upgrade. We thank Text Expander for their support of this show and Relay FM. So the second uh-huh. uh, report from Mark Gurman is about the 2018 iPad. Yay! So, we were talking about this last week um, on Ask Upgrade. Somebody asked if we think that there will be a 2018 iPad with Face ID and how that's going to work. Like, where are the cameras going to go? What's the orientation going to be? That kind of stuff. And we were wondering, like, maybe 2018's too soon for Face ID on the iPad. Well, Mark Gurman says that it's not. So here is the key information from this second Montgomery report. So the next uh, iPad, the 2018 iPad, will have a screen size similar to the current 10.5-inch iPad Pro, but with, again, smaller bezels at the top and bottom and no home button. It will have Face ID support. It will not have an OLED screen because they're super expensive, um, and currently only Samsung can make them to Apple standards, and all of their screens are going into phones. And maybe next year, as we spoke about at the top of the show, there'll be even more phones, right? So they're going to need even more screens, and they're already struggling to get the amount that they need. Um, This new iPad will have a faster processor and a custom Apple GPU again. There will be a new version of the Apple Pencil um, with an implied release date uh, more than a year after the recent iPad Pro update, so kind of maybe fall of 2018, uh, where we got the most recent iPad Pro uh, WWDC time, um, which was because it was super late, right? So we're kind of looking at, again, about like a kind of 15 to 18 month cycle um, on the iPad Pros, which seems to be becoming the norm, right? Like you're looking yeah. at a year and a half now, which is kind of cool. So I want to ask you, Jason, do you think that this report makes more or less sense than the last one like does this one stack up to you yeah i mean i i think this makes sense uh the idea that apple would want to bring face id everywhere totally makes sense to me Uh, i think that i think that we know that that this is also not a wait and see like apple went all in on face id a while ago they've even said so and so how would they not have said okay we got this stack we've got these sensors we've got this stuff bring it everywhere like and that the next generation ipad has probably always had face id as part of the plan and probably max too right next generation max yeah one would hope i mean there they have to build it into mac os right whereas it's already in ios but yeah you would think that at some point they definitely got the word like put this in (laughs) this is our we're not doing touch id so here's my question for you could the touch id work be like the start of it right because for for a lot of what i guess i could understand 
from iOS was that like they obviously had to do work to support Face ID, but it was it was piggybacking on the biometric stuff and all the secure enclave yeah. stuff. Yeah, I mean, the work that they've done on macOS already to support Touch ID on MacBook Pro with Touch Bar means that they've basically got that. They still have to do all of the whatever, you know, whatever is happening in terms of the intelligence of Face ID, right? That that has to get built in, although that's probably fairly fairly portable. Uh, I was going to say, like, from, from again, from what I understand about how it works on the MacBook Pro, a lot of the processing is happening on a specific chip, right? Which I'm assuming is very much like the chips that run on iOS. So maybe then again, right? right like a lot of that code is usable because it's not actually happening in macOS itself, maybe to a point. Right, it's happen- happening in the in in some uh, uh, ARM processor that's also running the secure enclave and all of that. It's possible. It's possible. It's just a little more work than like iOS. It's in there, right? Mm-hmm. So it, that, the iPad getting it is a little more straightforward than the Mac. Yes, than the Mac um, for sure, for sure. But the OLED stuff totally makes sense to me that they wouldn't do an OLED iPad screen only because uh, Apple is so shown to be super conservative with. OLED, like, it's not that there aren't OLED tablet panels out there, because I think there are, but, like, Apple Apple is not going to jump in until they get an OLED panel that, one, matches, you know, meets their standards, which are high. I think Apple is very happy with the iPad screen as it currently exists, because it is the wide color gamut screen. It's got the high refresh rate for ProMotion. Um, And... Also, there's price issues, right? Because an OLED uh, panel for tablets is going to be super expensive. And that's going to either cut into their margins or raise the price of the iPad Pro. And I don't think they want to raise the price of the iPad Pro right now. I think they want to sell more iPad Pros at the current prices. So I buy buy that part of the story, too. That this is not going to be an OLED iPad. It's going to be a Face ID iPad. And what the Face ID gets you is you can take the button off the screen and you can shrink the top and bottom areas and you don't have the space constraints of a phone so you can still leave room for the sensor bar i don't think there's going to be a notch i think they can leave room for the sensor bar but have all the bezels come in a little bit more so that you can make a smaller ipad that's got the same size screen or alternately a same sized ipad that's got a bigger screen what do you think of that one though actually because i was wondering right now you know, saying the report from Gomez is as a screen size similar to the 10.5 inch iPad Pro. Like, I can see yeah. that that's the case. Or, but I can also see that, like, that could have been misconstrued, where they're like, oh, it's going to be the same size, and you think it means screen, but, like, it's actually physical size. Do you think that they're more likely to bring it in or push the screen out to the edges of the current one? Um, uh, I'd say I'm 50/50 on it. Um, if I had to choose, I yeah. would say that it feels more likely that they would keep this, they would maintain the screen size and make the physical size smaller. But you know, if you keep the physical size the same, that means you've got more room for components and battery. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it means it's bigger and heavier. So you, what is Apple going to solve for there? And in the in the 12.9, assuming they do this on the 12.9, it's the same question, which is I would take a smaller 12.9. Uh, right, because I like the bigger screen, but I'd be happy if it was smaller and lighter. Um, 10.5 seems like a very nice size. People like it. Um, 
so that's a question is could you make it smaller or could you just stretch out the screen on the 10.5 quite frankly i think they could do either one and it would be a good product it would be a better product either a little more screen i think the advantage of having it uh be the same screen size is it's not another iOS screen size, <laughs> right? They just say no, no, no. It's that. the same. Yeah. It's the same size as the ten five. It's fine. It's fine. You know that you, kind of thing. Do you think they'll do anything to the twelve nine, or do you think it's going to be like another two to three years for that one? Right. So like they they rev the ten five, and then maybe in a year and a half rev the twelve nine again. <sighs> it's a good question. I don't know. I I, I want them to be in lockstep, right? I, I'm going to fear for the 12.9 if it isn't uh, Again. updated at the same time as the 10.5. <laughs> right, because we had the 12.9, then the 9.7 came out with new features. Nothing happened to the 12.9. Then they both yeah. got updated together in June. Right. So, so I, I want think, them updated together again from yeah, now on. Yeah, I, I know, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. I I don't know. I feel like that the 12.9, like, like it's not like it's dead, but I can imagine them skipping. Right, so like the ten five gets a revision, and then a year later it gets another one, and then the twelve nine gets a revision. I doubt, I doubt they, I doubt it sells a lot. Right, I mean, That's as much why. as I love it, mm-hmm. I doubt it sells a lot. In fact, I was going to say with the ten five, like if they made that a little bit bigger screen, they would pick off even more users potentially from the bigger iPad. Um, but I do think that there's a, uh, an advantage to having. Uh, I think it's. I think there's an advantage to having giving people choice in terms of screen size because if you're somebody who wants extra screen space, a ten and a half inch screen is not great. I mean, on on a laptop, people prefer a thirteen over an eleven, <laughs> and yet on the iPad, definitely people seem to prefer the eleven or ten and a half to the thirteen, essentially. Uh, but at the same time, the 12.9 is more expensive and has presumably really nice margins, so they want to keep it around. Uh, yeah, realistically, the 10.5 is the priority. And then the, the question is, do they keep updating the 12.9 in lockstep? I hope they do. So if the home button goes away, then what happens to our gestures? So I can't imagine that Apple would change iOS on the iPad's gestures to match the iPhone, right? So like that the swipe up would take you home because I really think that, the swipe up for the dock is is way more powerful there, right? Like all the dock stuff makes more sense. And honestly, I think that they would just keep what's already there. There is already a gesture on the iPad to go home and it's a four finger pinch. And you can also use four fingers to swipe left and right and you can go between apps like you can on the iPhone. I would hope and think that they'll probably go down that route rather than once again changing all of the UI gestures for ios on the ipad because you'd end up with like what would you do for the dock like do you think a swipe up and then you know i've got i i here's my here's my theory i'm just going to put it out there which is swipe up to go home swipe up and hold or swipe up and go high to bring up the dock and the multitasking switcher and control center which is what it currently does if you if you think about swiping up from within an app and you doing the big swipe 
you get to a place where the dock is there, the multitasking switcher is there, and control center is there. They're all there. Mm, I wouldn't like that. So you I, just so you just get rid of the little dock swipe, and the dock swipe becomes a home instead. Because all the multitasking stuff would be so much slower, right? Like doing because you'd swipe up, and then you want to bring a new app in, and then you'd have to tap again, and then bring. It all seems like it's just adding well, even that's, more that's steps to ace what can be sometimes clunky UI. Anyway, I find myself. The the swipe up a little to get the dock is not a gesture that I have embraced on iOS 11 on oh, the iPad. Oh, wow. I use it all I, I, the time. I, I, I rarely use it. But I can see how for, for multitasking and kicking off uh, apps, that, that is where I use it. And so that would be more complicated. Um, I, I think the four-finger pinch thing is too esoteric for people i think apple wants something a little more uh, specific than that they may move some gestures around but i feel like they will find a simple gesture to have you go home uh what about and, a, like a swipe in yeah. from uh, no, i was gonna say from the side but like that would I, I was gonna say also another solution and this is like lifting something else from the mac which they have done some of which is what if home is home the home screen is already an app in the app switcher right when you command tab one of your options is the home screen in the app switcher right so it's in the dock maybe. so what so what if it was in the yeah. dock so if you want to go home you flip up and tap on home and it shows us up as an app maybe in multitasking too well, as Jason, an app what if you can move to that just isn't home anymore on the Probably not, but they could de-emphasize it, right? Because you're you're flipping around between apps, so maybe just putting it on the dock is is the answer. Is that is that they keep the UI the same and they just put a home the home screen just lives on in the little side area on the dock at all times, just like the Finder is always in the dock on the Mac. Yeah, that would work. Or like you know, Launchpad comes back, Launchpad finds its way, uh, and then that's it, right? Like you hit it, and then the little all your apps open up rather than you going home. That's all. That's all it is, right? Just just rearrange the apps, and it could just be some weird little app launcher, which just sits in the dock instead. Because that's all. It, that's all home is, right? It's unless they do sure. something more there. I mean, but yeah, that that could totally work. Um, Gurman referenced a new app version of the Apple Pencil. Um, I just want to run through very quickly again. What do you think of that? Yeah, uh, I want to just say what I want to see. Um, well, okay, so <laughs> okay. What I think it will be is just. The, the lag is improved, right? The latency is improved. That's what, I, honestly, I think it will be. It would probably just be that. Um, but if I was going to ask for what I would like, it's a couple of things. Uh, buttons. Um, I would like that to be a button, which could have some functions programmed to it. This could be great for drawing apps, right? Because you could, could assign shortcuts to it or whatever. But there are many different applications that could do interesting things with buttons. Uh, you could have, you could, it could be programmable inside of applications, which I would really like. So like, say, for example, an app like your wonderful ferrite mm-hmm. that you could have effectively what would be like a shortcut key attached to it. So like if you press the button and tap, it cuts the audio right right at that point or something like that. You know, like you could, I'm, I'm thinking of like what my Wacom tablet does, right? So I have like select. So when I hold the button and drag, it's like I'm pressing the select key and you know, it's it's the shift, I should say, not select, shift. What am I saying? 
It's like I'm holding the shift key and then dragging, right? That's what happens when I use the button on my Wacom. So I'd like to see some programmable buttons there um, or an eraser, right, on the top. I would also honestly like to see uh, new material options. I've said support. I would love love an aluminium Apple Pencil um, Uh, because that would be wonderful and it would still be super light and it would look really nice and you could get them in all the four colors and or three colors, however many colors there's going to be in the next iPads. I would quite like that too. Um, so yeah, that's what I think the Apple Pencil could have. I would also like to see uh, new smart keyboards with backlighting on them, please. Thank you very much. That would be great. Um, let me throw out there for the Apple Pencil inductive charging and not as cool. long. <laughs> no, I wish they were a little. I, I wish it was a little bit shorter. I feel like it's it's okay. Awkward making it out of I, aluminium could make it shorter because. The, it's all about balance, right? So, like, how it feels in the hand. So, like, having it longer is, like, it's this balance thing. It's the dependent right. thing. But having it smaller and made of aluminium, the weight and the balance well, would be nice. The pens I use are not as long as the Apple Pencil. And a a, full, an, a a newly sharpened pencil is not as long as the Apple Pencil, I think. It's a little bit... It's just a little bit too long. So, I'd, I'd like it to be mm-hmm. a little bit shorter. But it's a, just an ergon- a little ergonomic thing. It just seems like it's too... There's too much there. Um and yeah, maybe there's a balance and a weighting thing that that is a part of this too. And then inductive charging, I think, is one where I think the charging issues with it are dumb, right? With the the thing, and you can do it, and it's fine, but it's not its best feature that it's got a little nubbin under the cap that you have to use to charge, um, and then you have to find you have to use an adapter or stick it into the bottom of your iPad and have it stick out. Kind what of what would weirdly. it inductively charge against, though? Well, I mean, they would they would allow it to inductively charge against air power, but how? But like, then if the battery dies, what do you do? If you're out at a coffee shop, I think it would still need a a, a lightning plug. I would also be fine if it had a. Um, my feeling is if it had a female lightning, so that you could just plug it into any of your many lightning plugs. I get that there's the emergency of you're at a coffee shop and you can just siphon off some of your iPad's battery power, but it still seems like a very weird. So I will say, like, I, odd I will, product I will, out. I will, I will go to, I will fight in war over this statement. That whilst it looks silly, it was the best, smartest way to deal with this product was to have the male lightning plug on there because when you need to charge it, you just want to be able to stick it into the iPad and charge it. And anything which is not, I am charging it via the device I'm using is a step backwards. If I have to have a cable, because like my iPad, I don't need to take charges with it when I'm leaving for the day because it's got an all day battery life, right? The Apple Pencil doesn't, and the, and it the, the, it drains quicker, especially if you keep it near it. I hope that they can do something around that as well, because if you keep mm. them near each other, they're connected to each other, and the battery drains. So you have any kind of case or anything that keeps it attached, the battery drains. I don't want to then have to take a full connector to, with me somewhere, because I might have to charge my Apple Pencil, because it has a female connector. Like Whilst it is dumb, and it's fun to make jokes about it, because it looks ridiculous, right, to stick the Apple Pencil in the bottom... It makes so much sense during usage. It's like having an inkwell, right? Like you would you would stick the pen into the inkwell to refill it and then use it, right? Like it, it just kind of makes sense to me that you have this thing, you stick it in there, you wait 30 seconds and you're good for 15 minutes. Like whilst it is not necessarily, like this is definitely a function over form decision that they made. And if they decide to go in another route with it, 
in my opinion, if it doesn't charge from the device, they've made they've made a bad decision. Okay, take it from someone that uses it. Yep, I buy. I, I I'll I'll take I'll take that. It is it is frustrating in all other contexts. I would say. But you are right. If you're just out somewhere with your iPad and your pencil's running out of battery, it would be terrible to be like, oh, no, I need to get an adapter out and plug it in that I brought just in case the pencil ran out yeah. when you can just sort of stick it in the iPad and it charges. I get that. They, it's just, again, all the other scenarios, it's weird. And I, I really, it makes me uncomfortable to plug that thing into the bottom of my iPad and have this big pencil, big long pencil thing sticking out the bottom. Like, I'm afraid I'm going to snap it off every single time. It terrifies me. But you use it more than I do, so yeah. I get and I, I get why I it's there. I push and wrench that thing in and out like there is no pro- like it's not breaking. You're all good. All like, right. I wouldn't worry about it. But also, so you don't ever nearly need to leave it in for that long. You kind of just I will plug it in. I'll open up a couple of apps, kind of get all my ducks in a row, and then I'm good to go because it only takes like 30 seconds or whatever. It's it's totally fine. It's totally fine. Mm, all right. Anything else on this this iPad? I mean, I know I want it, <laughs> and also, yeah, I want, yay well, for increased sales means we get more iPads. Yeah, yay. that that's what I was gonna say. Is is yes, please, an iPad update uh, in 2018. I know we had one in 2017. I'm greedy. I want another iPad update. Mm-hmm. I want the iPad to get the whizzy new iPhone features. They don't have to get them the same month, but they could maybe like the next iPad has the whizzy features that came to the iPhone, and the iPad is you know iPad's doing the iPhone a solid. The iPad did the true tone and then it moved back to the iPhone. Uh, well, I, I want I want it the other way. I would love Face ID on my iPad um, and all the latest, you know, latest processor tech upgrades and all of that stuff. And getting rid of the home button, I think, is fine because uh, I, I, I am over the physical home buttons now. Yeah, me too, unfortunately. It's like when I use Touch ID on my iPad, I'm like, oh, yeah. Look at you. I mean, I have. It has been kind of weird to keep using the physical home button for this amount of time, anyway, right? Because we've had the the yeah three D oh, touch I, home button. I, I don't. I don't use the home button very much, other than unlocking it via Touch ID, because yeah. I have yeah. gestures to move around. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm which is same. why I believe. Which is why I believe that it's not necessary on the iPad. Yeah, I and I would like to see uh, some. I would. I would really like to. See, I'm gonna say that. I will say it. I would love an OLED screen on an iPad. I really, really would. It would be so nice. And I hope for 2019, maybe we can get one. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. All right. Today's show is brought to you by Squarespace. Use the offer code upgrade at checkout and you'll get 10% of your first purchase. Make your next move with Squarespace with the ability to grab a unique domain name, access to award-winning templates and 24-7 customer support. They will they will let you easily create the website that you have for your next idea and you're going to feel great when you're doing it. Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that will let you put just about anything you want online. There is nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. Squarespace have got you covered. Whether you want to create a blog, a portfolio, an online store, maybe you want to create a podcast, maybe you want to have 
a site for your business, a site for your band, maybe your restaurant. No matter what it is, they've got templates to help you. They're so customizable, and they have that customer support if you need anything. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month. You can sign up for a free trial with no credit card required. Just go to squarespace.com and use the offer code UPGRADE when you get to checkout, when you go and sign up for a plan, to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for this show. That is the offer code UPGRADE for 10% off your first purchase. Our thanks to Squarespace for their support of this show, Squarespace. Make your next move, make your next website. It is time for Hashtag Ask Upgrade. Dave wants to know... I've noticed a trend this week, which Dave is making fun of, but its I've noticed it. Given that Twitter now allows 280 characters in their tweets, do you think that the Upgradians will be more lo- loquacious? Lo- loquacious, yes. Loquacious in their, the day. Hash- in their hashtag AskUpgrade questions. And what impact do you think this will have on the segment? Will it be better or worse? Now, uh, this word, lo- loquacious, um, means tending to talk a great deal or talkative. I like... Dave was making fun, I'm sure, with the word choice, right? But I did notice when I was looking through the Ask Upgrade questions that, boy, were they longer. Hey, 280-character tweets, people are using them. So I'm going to say uh, that whilst the questions in some cases are longer, quite a lot of the time people would send multiple tweets. This is fine. I mean, if it helps our listeners get their questions out, to us in in a more detailed way to try and help with some stuff great because a lot of the time as well i was noticing people just like wrenching to fit the 140 and like really also sometimes you you paste in a tweet and it's not the whole question and then you're like oh god what was the rest of the question you have to go back and find the next tweet there i think there are a lot of good debates that people are having about whether 280 instead of 140 hurts twitter or helps twitter um, about like regular conversation and people, the the kind of uh, challenge of fitting a thought in 140. Uh, and I think those, I have some opinions on them, but I think it's a good, de- great, debatable subject. Yep. I will say, as somebody who does podcasts where I'm posting a new episode and I'm trying to mention everybody who's on the panel and I can't fit it in 140, <laughs> I'm very happy to have 280 so I can mention everybody in the same tweet and keep it in one tweet and say, here's our new episode with these five people and here's the link. And as somebody who does podcasts with this hashtag where people are asking questions, and I do that with TV Talk Machine too, where people tweet at TVTM with their questions, and it's a super easy way to get podcast feedback and questions, I'm very happy with 280 because I want them to be able to fit their question in and not give up or send an email that then we forget to read on the air. Because like people send emails to upgrade every now and then, and I feel really bad because I usually forget that we've got them by the time the show happens. And uh, so I'm happy. I think this is a great change for some of these uses that we have for it. So I'm glad to have longer, clearer hashtag ask upgrade tweets. I think that's great. Ryan wants to know, how do you clean the inside of your AirPods case? Jason, please tell me you have good options for this. I'm assuming like compressed air would do it. But like... (laughs) There is, there's just like, there is some lint in my AirPods case, which feels like it's now just a part of the AirPods case. Like it's impossible to get out. I don't have a good answer here. My uh, in-ear headphones came with a little tiny tool that's like a little kind of scraper thing that's super small that I will use sometimes. 
Um, I was, this is not, uh, okay, I'll just say it. Um, I have a SIM removal tool that I use to like pop out the SIM card on my old iPhone and put it in the iPhone 10 and all of that. And it was out. And it's basically like a little tiny um, pin. And so I, I actually kind of used it to scrape off the like the the lint and the junk around the corner of the uh of the airpods case um you did it jason i'm now using an airpod a a sim removal tool right now there you go see you did have an answer for me i did it yeah because it's not it's not like a pin it's not like a push pin where it's gonna kind of scrape and not because it's too pointy it's it's kind of a blunt uh pin and and that worked pretty well to scrape the stuff uh out so yeah, there you go. There's my, if you've got a SIM removal tool, that might be your answer. That is an upgrade top tip. Uh, Chris has a question for me. Um, Chris wants to know, is there a reason to get Apple Care Plus for the iPhone 10 and not just have it on something like home contents insurance with accidental damage cover? Now, I'm assuming Chris asked me this question because Chris is also in the UK and is, like me, unaware of what home contents insurance is like or if it even exists in the US. Who knows? But here is my my question about this, right? And I've also had people say to me, like, oh, what about European Union warranty laws and all that sort of stuff? I'm sure that there are ways in which you can argue a case um, or you can put it on home contents insurance with accidental damage cover and you might be able to get stuff fixed. I had a laptop fixed that way once where I spilt an entire, uh, like, half pint of soda into a laptop keyboard <laughs> and with the accidental damage cover they replaced it here that's but, what we call the pe- the pepsi syndrome is what we always used to call that go. when i was a kid it's like the china syndrome except instead of a nuclear meltdown it's pepsi on your computer keyboard yeah which is it feels feels very similar at that moment in time yeah. i actually <laughs> i dumped that uh i i did that to that computer during the month in which we were launching Relay, like building up to it. It was the month prior. In the US, uh, generally, this is called renter's insurance. Okay. Yeah, see, this is something that people that own homes also get. I don't know if that's a... Because renter's insurance sounds like something you do when you're renting. But like there there is like a... Here here it's... For for homeowners, it's generally just it's your homeowner's insurance and you can have it cover... And it covers your house and the contents. Okay. And then it's, it depends on your policy. But there's for just a policy for just the contents, I think generally, you know, the, the difference uh, there is then you're then you're a renter. You're a renter. Because a homeowner's yeah. insurance, you also have to be insured against somebody tripping on the on the shrub outside your house and breaking their neck and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But um, but I, and I'm with you, which is. Uh, what's your insurance like? Yeah. What's the deductible? What's, oh, you like, know, there's a whole list of things yes. that are like, sure, maybe your insurance is awesome and it totally covers it, but I'm not sure how confident people are about their insurance coverage so like, covering something like they you may dropping your say iPhone. they cover it, but like, will they actually agree to fix it? How long is it going to take them? Who is going to perform the repair, right? Like all of these questions, like for example... I got my laptop replaced, but it took like four weeks, three or four weeks. Now, the Apple Store, in theory, is not going to take that long, especially for an iPhone. Now, I know like the iPhone stuff is done relatively fast when you actually can get an appointment. And I know that it's the Apple Store that's fixing it. Like, who fixes these things for contents insurance companies? Who does that? Like, do they have like some third party that they send them out to, right? Like, so, yes, in theory, you can do this. Um, I went with Apple Care Plus because if I have a problem, I want to take it to an Apple store and the Apple um, store fixes it. Yeah. 
right, with their warranty extensions on those repairs, right, and all that sort of stuff. And then it doesn't put up my entire home insurance premium and plan and, <laughs> you know, and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I just I didn't want to go through all of that. Dean has an interesting question. Dean wants to know, if you could swap time zones with me, would you? The pro is Apple product pre-orders are at 3 p.m. The con is keynotes are at 1 a.m. And uh, Dean is in Perth. So Western what, Australia, yeah. Yes. What would you do? Would you would you swap would you swap? Uh I certainly would not. No, you're in the you're in the prime time zone for I, it. I'm right? in I'm in as Apple will continue to explain to you Cupertino time zone. So product pre order at midnight is not a big deal. It's like a party. And then the keynotes are at a proper time in the uh, at ten AM. So I am going to stay here. But what about you, Mike? I mean, I am in the one true time zone, uh, which is GMT you're or GMT, in GMT offset by one. Uh, but right now I'm in the ultimate yeah, you're b- prime time because it's the time. I am in time. Uh, I'm at zero right now, which is the GMT. Uh, no, I wouldn't either because our pre-order is at 8 a.m., which is not terrible, right? Like, it's pretty good. Uh, and our and we watch get the keynotes at like six o'clock at night. Like that, that's fine too. So I'm sure there are some people in the world that would want to make that switch. Um, maybe people in Eastern time would be more inclined to do it, right? So they don't <laughs> have to wake up at three a.m. for their product. No, pre-orders. but they're used to the world revolving around them and their time zones. So which is why I want to be... point out that the one true time zone is my time zone, Casey, not yours. It makes no sense that Eastern time would be anyway. Um, moving on, uh, Rob wants to know. Uh, what are your thoughts on if uh, Apple will or should or could break out apps like Safari into releases that are not tied to the OS? What do you think about this, Jason? You know, we were talking about this recently. With, like iOS seems to be this thing with like a staggered release of products now. But like, should, should stuff like Safari still be tied into uh, big OS updates? Um, I, so I, I'm sure Apple would like... Uh, to unhitch apps and have them go through software update like iWork does. Like, you know, you know, there's just a pages update and you go, okay, that's fine on iOS and Mac. I think the problem with Safari is that it's not just Safari, it's WebKit and it's underlying the entire web experience of the operating system. And that's why it's tied to the OS is that, you know, the apps, theoretically, the apps that are tied to the OS are the ones that can't be updated outside the OS update structure. So, yeah, Apple could pull Safari app and make that updatable separate from, like, all the WebKit frameworks, I suppose, but I'm not quite sure what you get by doing that. Um because how often are they going to update the Safari app versus doing, you know, pushing an update that also updates the rest of it? So I, I get the frustration if you're a, if you're an avid user. Like for me, it's with photos where I write about photos. I'm working on the update to my book about photos because um, I'm going to do that in the next couple of weeks. And uh, photos only gets updates when the OS updates. And why is that? It's like, well, I guess the, it's so tied into iCloud stuff that they just have made it a part of the of of the uh of the os stuff but it's frustrating i think though that's the that's the theory and safari is is a great example it's actually the best example like all web rendering on ios for example is happening in safari essentially and uh it is web rendering in the mac that wherever it's needed is being supplied by 
the you know, WebKit under Safari. So I think that's the theory is they don't want to do that. Um, you, the good news is on the Mac, you can just get the um, the the Safari developer preview if you want a peek at the next generation Safari stuff, um, Safari t- technology preview. And that gets updated all the time, which is cool. But they want to keep the, you know, the updates that affect web rendering across the entire platform uh, constrained. So that's why. I want to just have, before we finish today, a quick tangent, which is coming off this, which is tied to machine learning. Um, there's been this weird bug going around uh, on iOS, which seems oh. like some kind of weird virus spreading from machine to machine, where it's been replacing the capital I with a uh, A and a question mark in a box. Like It's just like a weird Unicode bug, effectively, is what's going on. And it seems like now, there haven't been, I mean, I, I am interested to see Apple publish a potential paper on this in the future. Um, but what it seems like is that there has been some kind of bug in Core ML or in differential privacy or something like that, in which somebody put this into autocorrect and then somehow that spread to everyone. Well, not everyone, like to a lot of people. And it seems like there's like this, this theory, which I, I subscribe to, but hasn't been proven of like, if it was sent to you, it maybe got into your autocorrect. Like if somebody sent you a message and it had those characters in it, that then maybe you would start doing it, but you didn't even know it was happening. It's this very strange thing. Like People would see it, but you didn't know you were doing it. It didn't happen to me. Um, but it's there's been this bug which Apple has fixed via a software update. So my my kind of question mark about this is, how good is your machine learning system when the only way you can fix it is via a software update? Now... Yeah. If this happened to Google, Google would just fix it on their back end, right? Because their machine learning algorithms, they control them. But, right, uh, like, but here it's running on the, the device. But when it's running on device, if there is a problem in your in something in your machine learning in this differential privacy stuff, I'm assuming that these two things are connected, you have to push an operating system update as your way to fix this, which means it's still happening and people are still seeing it because not everybody updates their phones. Like... I, I have like a, I have a big question mark about this because it's like it's, uh, well, I, many actually like it. Does this mean that maybe this isn't the best way to do this uh, grand scale? And then also, this is a bug we've seen. Are there others? What other bugs could exist in the machine learning? Like, are all of the locations in my photos being tagged incorrectly? Like are all of the subjects. Like, uh, am I no longer seeing mountains and horses because they've been miscategorized somewhere, but I can't see it? Like, this is one we can see because it's happening to our keyboards. But, like, could there be other errant information, like other, like, weird stuff that's happening somewhere in these machine learning databases, but we don't necessarily see it? And can they then only be fixed via operating system updates? It's curious to me like this this yeah. is this we're seeing one of the trade-offs this is one of the trade-offs when you go for privacy it would seem yeah i think so and and it's one of those things where they could probably uh change the architecture so that they could make this something that was correctable without a software update but first off there are lots of security implications there and secondly um 
they won't hit this one again. It'll be somewhere else, right? And they're all constantly changing. Oh, well, maybe we should make that something we can remote control. And maybe there's something that it's, but so you're right. This is live by the sword, die by the sword here, mm-hmm. where, where this, if this was a cloud database, Apple could just delete this from it and everything would be okay. But since it's learning and then on device, uh, I had that same thought, which was, wow, wouldn't this be the kind of thing that Apple could like just kind of pop in and, and 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 take away and instead they're like nope we got to release a software update for it everybody's like, gonna have to reboot their phone in order to fix this problem i don't understand enough of this stuff right but my assumption would be that this is the way you fix this because if they could fix it remotely then there's a back door right which is exactly what they don't want like the only way to fix this is to go to my device and fix it and if it's not done by software update how do you do it yeah, I don't know. It seems a very it's a curious problem. This is why I would like to see and hope that like on their machine learning blog they publish a paper about this. Like what happened? How can you prevent it? And is there a way to stop it going happening in the future? Or like what changes are they going to make to stop this type of thing happening in the future? Because I think a lot of the reason that Apple made this machine learning blog is they want to I think encourage other companies to take their approach, which is a privacy first look at machine learning. Well, I think we've seen one of the problems with that. And like, why company, some companies are like, no, no, <laughs> we'll control the data set, right? Like, and then we could just change it if we need to. So yeah, very, very interesting. I, I've, I have been, I've been racking my brain on this one a little bit. And again, like I, I have no doubt that there are many things that I don't understand, but uh, it is, it's been an interesting, it has been a very interesting thing to watch kind of happen to the internet. Yeah. What a weird, weird thing, too. I, I hope that there's some lesson they can learn from this mm-hmm. about uh, so that something like this doesn't happen again. But again, probably this won't recur and it will be some other weird thing well, that happens the next now time. Now I'm just terrified that it's all wrong and I can't see it. Right? It's all wrong and nobody knows. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Today's episode was brought to you by our friends Squarespace, MacWorld, and Text Expander from Smile. Thank you to them for supporting this week's show. Uh, you can find our show notes at relay.fm slash upgrade slash 167. Jason is at sixcolors.com and he is at jsnell on Twitter. I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E. If you'd like to send in questions to open the show, use the hashtag SnellTalk. If you want to send in questions for us at the end of the show, hashtag AskUpgrade. Thank you so much for your continued participation in these segments. We quite literally could not do them without you. As always, thank you for listening. We'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.